we are in our final message on our March series, Christian Witness, Engagement and Action. And we've journeyed through a fantastic series exploring how we can more meaningfully connect with people who don't yet know Jesus, how we can connect them to the Father's heart, how we can really stir ourselves up to genuine evangelism. And so I want us this afternoon to be mindful as we go on this journey of discovering the two bandits, if you like, that hung on their respective crosses with Jesus. So the portion of scripture that we're gonna be looking at is Luke 23, it's verses 32 to 43. The title of my sermon is, Which Thief Are You? Amen? So some thoughts for us. But before we set the scene and we examine these two bandits, I want to highlight to you, there is a distinct possibility today, whether you're here in the house, whether you're watching online, whether you're a Christian or not yet a believer, that you could be either or both of these two criminals. Don't assume, don't be foolish in thinking that you will automatically be the good thief as we unpack and uncover so much of the heart attitude in the lives of both of these thieves, we will see so much in our own lives. Now these men, before we read the portion of scripture together, they were referred to as criminals and Jesus was being crucified with them as a way of degrading Jesus and an attempt by the Romans and the Roman soldiers that put Jesus on the cross to, if you like, dismantle Jesus's power. But we know that that never happened. These thieves don't even get any name. All we know is their status, they're criminals. And so the body of Christ over years has widely acknowledged these two criminals or two, these two thieves as the unrepentant thief and the good thief. And this helps us inform that their status has changed for both of them as a result of the decisions that they have ultimately taken. So Luke 23 verses 32 through 43, I'm reading the ESV. Our core portion of scripture will be verses 39 through 43, but for context, verse 32 onwards. Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments, and the people stood by watching, and the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine, saying, If you are king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. And so I want us to picture the scene in our minds and in our hearts this afternoon. These men are nailed to their respective crosses in the presence of Jesus Christ. They're both guaranteed to suffer the same fate as Jesus. They've been paraded in front of the people. They've been nailed by the very Roman soldiers that put them on the cross to that cross. And they, those soldiers are now standing there watching him die. 
These criminals have the same status. They are about to suffer the same fate. Both were considered lowly members of society. They were in the same context. They had the same problem. The similarities between these two are vast and convincing. But as we will see, their two outcomes are completely different. Why? Because of their two heart attitudes being completely different. The first thief says, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. This is a question followed by a demand or a statement. The other thief made no such reference, made no such demands, made no such inquiry of the Lord. Because as we will see, his heart fundamentally was in a different place, which leads to a different outcome for him. And so the good thief, as we've just read, actually ends up rebuking the unrepentant thief and defends Christ. He defends the innocence of Christ. He's aware and he is accepting of who Jesus is. Now, one would think if you're on a cross next to Jesus, you're moments away from a gruesome death. Maybe, don't know about you, but I would be thinking about a little bit of self-preservation in that moment. I'd be thinking about my own situation, about what I need to do, about how I need to get free, about how I can find my freedom, about how I can avoid the death that is rightly in their society at that time for their sins, their crimes, rightly due to him. Hmm. Is he resigned to his fate? We don't know. But I think it's a lot deeper and a lot more profound than that. He doesn't merely get asked to be taken down from the cross. He actually asks to be taken up with the Lord. Verse 42, he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Now, Jesus does not ignore the good thief. He acknowledges what he says. And he says, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. What does this show us today, friends, about the gospel of Jesus Christ? It proves one thing irrevocably, that the gospel is every sinner's last hope, last joy, last confidence, and last trust. Our trust simply cannot be placed anywhere else. And yet, what happened to him? This thief cried out with all of his heart. And what did Jesus do? Did he dismiss him? Did he ignore him? Did he remind him of his guilt? Did he highlight his sin? No. He demonstrated the heart attitude of a loving, compassionate, caring father. And I don't know where you are in your walk with Christ. I don't know whether you're looking for Christ at this Easter time. I don't know whether you've, you found Christ and you're distant from him. But it's so important that we understand the heart of the father here. Because he assures him in that moment that his sins have been forgiven. The slate has been wiped clean. Everything relating to this thief's life has now been washed away in a moment of God's grace. I want you to take a moment and think about what must have been going on in the heart of that thief in that moment. Moments from death, desperate, destitute, unable to help himself. And yet he receives the greatest gift that anyone can receive, salvation through Christ. That right there is the gospel, amen? Nobody regardless of their circumstances, is beyond the reach of God's love and God's grace. And if you want proof for it, that thief right there, he is evidence of it to you and me today. Because right before he dies, the opportunity is presented and he takes it with both hands. Which informs us that salvation through Christ is available to everyone in the most trying and testing moments of moments when all is bleak and barren. Salvation was made accessible to both of those thieves, and yet only one of them 
embraced it. And they were in exactly the same circumstances with exactly the same person and could embrace exactly the same outcome. And yet they chose total opposites. Which tells us that it doesn't matter what your current circumstances or climate is. You might be in grave danger in your own life. You might be destitute spiritually. You might be materially empty like these two thieves. You also have an invitation today. You have an opportunity to allow Christ to permanently and perfectly alter the course and destiny of your life forever. And if you're here in this building or you're watching online and you're not a believer, speak to somebody who is a believer afterwards because you are sitting amongst evidence. Look around for a moment. The person next to you probably, hopefully knows Jesus. So you are sitting amongst evidence of the grace and the goodness of God operating in people's lives. Now, if you're wondering, well, Scott, hang on, what about you? <laughs> I'll give you a short summary. I was the unrepentant thief a number of years ago, amen? But now I'm the good thief. So if you're wondering where I was on that scale, I was the unrepentant thief, obnoxious, arrogant, self-centered, which we will see when we unpack the rest of the story. But in a moment of grace, God can change somebody's life and somebody's circumstances. And it will be, always be the greatest decision that you could ever make is to accept Christ. Because here's the reality, we can all take heart from this portion of scripture because Christ sees us in that moment for who we really are. Not for where we were, but for who we are. Yet we are fragile, and we are fallen, but praise God, he does not look at us as who we once were. That is the hallmark of a loving father. The good thief is, should be a bastion of hope for every person who does not yet know Christ. His repentance for his sin is clear and tangible. He is all too aware that it is his own sin that has nailed him to the cross. He's there because of what he's done. Jesus wasn't on the cross for what he had done. He's spotless perfect, without sin. But these two thieves were there. And yet in that moment, he accepted Christ as his Lord and Savior. Which means for us that when the situation's at its gravest, when there's an impending gruesome death, he was forgiven his sin. So where does that leave you today? It leaves you with a very clear choice. We can either courageously embrace the eternal hope of genuine repentance like that good thief and receive the forgiveness of our sins and enjoy Jesus, or not? And what hope can we ultimately take from the story? I think it's significant here that this is Jesus just before he himself is about to die. And yet there is no extenuating circumstances. There is no special privileges. There is no exclusive rights or unique circumstances being presented to either of these thieves. They get exactly the same gospel. They get exactly the same Jesus that you and I get today. Now you would think that he would, might be able to say, well, hang on, this is a perilous situation. There are some extenuating circumstances. None of us were crucified next to Christ. You could argue that maybe he wouldn't have to say some of the things that he said. Perhaps he could have bargained with God. Anyone ever tried to do that? How's that working out for you? <laughs> Let me help you. It doesn't work, right? You can wrestle with God. You can fight with God, but it never works out. He is always in charge. He is always in control because we are saved by grace and grace alone. Do not fall into the trap of thinking that your good deeds are sufficient for your salvation. You cannot manipulate God. You cannot bargain with God. You cannot do anything in and of yourself to gain your salvation. It is a gift from God. So what we see in this portion of scripture here is there are three people talking, which means there are three conversations. There are essentially three statements or questions. And I want us to go through those 
today. So we'll start with the unrepentant thief. Because as I've said, three people speak in this portion of Scripture and he speaks first. Verse 39, one of the criminals who were hanged railed at him saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. Hmm. Now I wonder, is that our heart posture to Jesus when all seems lost? When the outcome is, out, outlook is bleak? When we're no longer in charge of our own circumstances or our own destiny? I think that unrepentant thief reflects the heart of most of humanity. Now I can relate to that particular comment there, as I've said many years before I knew Jesus. Accusatory, arrogant, self-focused and angry. Mark and Matthew's gospel actually reference these men as robbers. I deliberately chose Luke's story because I think criminal is more all-encompassing. It's got greater weight attached to it. But he's a common, common criminal which means he's broken the laws of the land, he's living in direct rebellion to God, and he's failed to honor God in his life. So the evidence here is overwhelming. Now let's be clear, this is not a request for help. This is not the heart of a sincere man. This is the heart of someone making accusations at God. This is someone making comments to God where they believe that they are almost having to appraise God themselves. It's like, what have you done for me? Why don't you help me? Hmm. I wonder, is that how we treat God in our own lives? Remember, he's lived a life in direct odds with God. But now, when the rubber hits the road, when he knows he's about to die, what does he do? He's now demanding that Jesus comes and helps him, gives him attention, gives him support. And yet he's lived for his whole life in direct rebellion to God. He's positioned himself in a way to audit God in his own life, to, uh, for God to somehow un be under some appraisal of the unrepentant thief. And I just wonder in our own heart, the rebellion that exists in our own heart, when things go wrong, statements like, God has failed me. God doesn't care. God doesn't love me. Now, in our time, we are exploring the heart attitude of these two criminals, but it would be senseless for us not to take a moment to consider how Christ was and what he was experiencing in those moments. He was going through pain, anguish, the humiliation of being stripped naked in front of a crowd, being hung on a cross in front of his own mother, the whole people, loads of people watching him, the very people that have put him on the cross and are drawing lots for his clothes. Again, you would think self-preservation. You would think, what do I need to do to minimize my guilt, my shame? But he has no guilt. He has no shame. And yet in the midst of his anguish and his turmoil, he's got some obnoxious criminal giving him a piece of his mind. Now, I've got to be real for you, just off the record for a moment. If I was Jesus, I am kicking off with this criminal, right? I've got to be real. I would not be having one bar of that, right? I'm just hanging on the cross for the sins of the world, for humanity. And this idiot is trying to tell me that I should be stepping into his situation when he's lived in complete rebellion to me for the whole of his life. Madness. And yet, thank God that I'm not Jesus, obviously, because we see the heart of the Father. Now let's think about the good thief, which is the crux of this sermon, orientated around what the good thief says. He says a lot more, and his heart is also revealed. And we know that Scripture says the heart of all men will be revealed. Much akin to the unrepentant thief, this good thief has also lived a life in direct rebellion to God, and yet somehow he changes. Why? The power of God operating in his life. 
There is no evidence of this change being brought about from a period of studying scriptures. He's not gone to university to get a theology degree. He's not sat in church services every day for 60 years. He's lived a life of folly and a life of ruin right up to this moment. And yet his heart attitude changes in that moment. He conveys his own repentance. He attempts even to shut up his fellow criminal. He has taken personal responsibility for his own faults and failures. Verse 40, but the other rebuked him saying, do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. I would go so far as to suggest at this point, the good thief is now trying to distance himself from the unrepentant thief. Because these comments are in direct contrast to what the unrepentant thief has said. He actually asks him, do you not fear God? That question is birthed from a place of knowing and understanding who Jesus is in his own heart, in his own life. Because he in that moment has had his eyes open to the majesty and the splendor and the glory of Jesus and he is not now turning back. The thief did the right thing in the nick of time. He abandons this world, all that it has to offer and he transfers his trust from the things of the world to knowing Jesus Christ. And he throws himself, figuratively speaking, at the feet of Jesus. He has placed his trust for his own salvation in the hands of Jesus. Now, you and I could debate theologically whether or not if somehow this guy came off the cross, what type of life would he live? Because there's no evidence, there's no works, there's no evidence of anything changing in his life aside from his heart. So you and I could debate that and I would robustly suggest he would probably live a pretty sanctified, pretty Christ-surrendered, kingdom-focused life that honored and served the Lord Jesus Christ because he has received the greatest gift that he could. But let's be clear, it's an issue of the heart here. It's an issue of where we are in our own heart, in our own life. Now, I think we need to also consider where we stand in this moment. A brief exploration of the unrepentant thief and the good thief. Which one are you? Where do you sit in this moment? Because he doesn't say anything else. The words of this good thief fall away the moment he has made his claims. All we can do is look to Jesus, just like that good thief did. And so the last person to speak is Jesus. Amen. Now, I think that is highly symbolic. Jesus is always going to have the final say. Amen. And I think we should take some confidence and some comfort from that in our own lives. Let's not be clumsy here. He makes very concrete and very, very conclusive comments that highlight his divine authority. Christ is the judge of man. And he's not presenting here any options or any ideas that are up for discussion or decisions. He's declaring truth and he is proving that he has the final say. And in ways that only the Lord Jesus Christ can do, he speaks with gentleness and kindness and yet his words carry weight, authority and power. Jesus actually, if we read the scriptures again, he goes further, he goes further than what the good thief actually asks him. The good thief asks him, Jesus, remember me. That's all he asks for. But what does Jesus say? Today, I, verily I say to you, or truly I say to you, you will be with me in paradise. Thief didn't ask for that, but he got it. And that's 
I think about how the heart of Jesus is for you and for I. He will exceed your expectations. He will go further than what you ask him to do. He will do more than you need him to do in any given moment in your life if you submit and surrender to him. The thief only asked Christ to remember him and yet Jesus said the words with me. That's a personal and an intimate indication that this thief will be with Christ. And therefore Jesus is not going to need to remember him if he's there. Mind blown, should be. Now think about how that thief feels. Jesus has exceeded his expectations. And yet what is also interesting is Jesus has been very specific with this thief. He doesn't say to him, hey, you know, at some point next week, next month, you're going to hang on the cross for a couple of weeks, buddy. No, today. Today. It's very, it's very specific. Today. Like today is all, only ever going to be today. Today. Right? Because tomorrow is tomorrow, obviously. And so Jesus is being very, very specific. Why? Because Jesus himself knew that he himself was about to die. And he was prepared for that. And Jesus knew that when he died, that he would automatically conquer death, hell, sin, and the grave. And therefore, in that moment, there's no longer any barrier. There's no longer any division. There's no longer any separation between God and man. He has achieved it all. So what have we learned? What have we discovered today? One thief cries out with one intention. Self-preservation, self-interest, self-hope. The other cried out, I have nothing to do. I can do nothing in and of, of myself. And as long as we trust in ourselves, God cannot and will not be able to save us. We have to surrender to him. We have to decide in our heart that Christ is Lord and he will lead us to victory. So what has actually happened? Now we cannot escape the reality that all three of these men that were hanging on those crosses died. There's no question of that. But what is significant is what ultimately has emerged. Max Lucado captures the totality of the good thief's reality with this quote. Mercy forgave the thief on the cross. Grace escorted him into paradise. Hmm, I like it. He was repentant. He anchored his belief in Christ and he was confident that Christ could raise him from the dead. He had witnessed with his own eyes Jesus being put on the cross and he belatedly believed in him, which means that it's never too late to believe in Christ. Jesus forgave him everything and he gave him complete confidence that he would spend eternity with him. And that same invitation is open to you today. Be the good thief. You know, contentment in one's heart is never generated from the season or the circumstance that you find yourself in. It's always developed from the perspective that you choose to have in your situation. Because we have three men, three men with two destinations, the unrepentant thief in hell forever, no question. Jesus conquered death, hell, sin, and the grave is now sat at the right hand of the Father making intercession for you. Good thief, is in paradise. Here's a sobering thought. Only one of those three men never ended up in hell. The good thief. And yet, he deserved to go. Think about that. He deserved it. If he had been sent, if he had gone, couldn't argue. He'd lived a life. He'd made decisions and not made decisions. And yet, he's ascended with the Lord forever. I anticipate even today he's rejoicing with the Lord Jesus Christ 
for all that God has done for him. Jesus' love and only Jesus' love made a way for him. The great German theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer reminds us of it. Jesus himself did not try and convert the two thieves on the cross. He waited until one of them turned to him. Will you turn to him today where you are? Maybe you're distant in your walk with God. Maybe you don't even know who this Jesus is, but will you turn to him today? Because Jesus was last to speak in this three-way conversation. And what he said, what he communicated, carried the greatest weight. The power and potency of one sentence rescued a man from plunging into the depths of hell. And because we are fallen, and it's in our nature, because we are fallen to be rebellious, and if anyone knew me pre-Christ, you would know that I was the leading authority on rebellion. Every one of us can identify with that unrepentant thief. Even when the answer is staring you in the face, you can still get it wrong. Awkward. <laughs> Awkward. Why? Pride? Ego? A sense of self-entitlement? Self-preservation? Self-assurance? Everything that's looking inward when we should be looking upward, or in their case, to the left or right. And so where are you today in your walk with God? Do you even know who God is? You know, Jesus is always the answer. Everyone, no exception, needs Christ. He is the answer. He always has been the answer. He always will be the answer. The question is, do you want to accept that? Do you want to know him as your Lord and Savior? Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. What is actually going on here? This thief has transferred his trust from the world and he has accepted his cross. He has definitively placed his trust in the promises of God. So I ask the question again this afternoon, which thief are you? You're one of them, that much is true. Do you wish to come down from your cross, continue to be on this earth? Continue to live your life? Continue to live in rebellion and sin? Or do you wish to accept your cross and be taken up with Christ in the life to come? It's a simple question, and you cannot be a bit of both. So you can't decide, I'm going to be part of this guy and part of that guy. There is no middle ground. You cannot be neutral on this. As I've said before, with your nature, with our hearts, with our fallen attitudes, we are rebellious. So here's the thought. By not choosing to be the good thief, you are automatically choosing to be the unrepentant thief. Because the good thief made an intentional choice. He made a future-focused, active decision to put his trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. He didn't sit and hang around waiting for options and opportunities and then decide on what he thought was, might have been the best option in that moment. He made a very clear, a very conscious, concrete decision in that moment to put his heart and his trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so by not choosing, you are choosing. So if you're watching here today, you can't sit there and say, well, you know, I'm neither. No, unless you choose to put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ the way that good thief did, you're still the unrepentant thief. So I would suggest that our default for us, if we don't know the Lord, is that we are the unrepentant thief. But my hope and my goal is that you will become the repentant thief. I've given you the truth today. 
No question. You now have a choice in your heart whether you want to accept it or not. You can agree or you can dismiss it or you can be challenged by the veracity of God's word in your life and you can choose to put your hope and your trust in him. And in making that decision to put your hope and your trust in Jesus, you automatically abandon the idea of being the unrepentant thief. And so I want us to take a moment this afternoon before we bring our time to a close. Right where you are, why don't you close your eyes, whether you're watching online, whether you're here in the building. And I want to present a couple of thoughts for your consideration today. We've heard the story of, we've heard the story of two people socially distanced from Jesus, in the same proximity to Jesus, in the same arena, the same situation as Jesus, both guilty unequivocally of their sin and their crimes, both certain to face the same gruesome, bloody death on a cross. They are so low in society, we don't even know their names. Scholars and theologians have ideas but their names are not recorded in the Word of God. And it all comes down to a heart attitude. Because the similarities between these two men is incredible, so clear. And yet their destinations, their decisions, polar opposites. And there's no middle ground the unrepentant thief, me, myself, and I, what I think I need, accusatory to Jesus, making demands, invoking expectations, speaking from a place of seemingly having greater authority than Christ in that moment, making no acknowledgement for who Jesus truly is, mocking him, essentially. Maybe that's you today. Maybe that's you and you don't even know that that's you today. But if you search the deepest recess of your heart, you might find that there is a little bit of rebellion there in your heart, that you're not living right with God. You don't know God. You don't even know who I'm talking about. So that's the unrepentant thief. Now hear the good thief. Jesus, remember me. Jesus wants to put your name in the Lamb's book of life. He wants to have that relationship with you. And I could argue strongly in that exact moment that that thief, the good thief, his theology is stronger, his relationship with Jesus is stronger and more robust than all of the 12 disciples. Because he acknowledged exactly who Christ was. He knew what Jesus was about to do. He had a, an awareness of his own sin, his own faults, his own failures, and he acknowledged them. And he distanced himself from the unrepentant thief who would have literally have been a colleague or a fellow criminal. And he wants nothing more to do with him. He actually tries to silence him, actually tries to rebuke that thief. So he's not just ignoring this thief. He's now speaking against this thief. He's, he's now clearly aligned himself with the Lord Jesus Christ. Does Jesus talk to the unrepentant thief? There's no evidence of that. 
Jesus speaks to only one of them. Today, truly, I say to you, who? He doesn't say to them, he says to you. You will be with me in paradise. There is certainty, an ironclad guarantee for that good thief. And so my deepest prayer today, whether you're watching online, whether you're here in the building, is that you will go from being that unrepentant thief. Demonstrate genuine repentance. Go beyond mere apologies and remorse. Stretch forth to repentance, where you own your sin, you confess your sin, you abandon your sin. You place your trust in Christ, King of glory, that everlasting gospel that I've just presented to you. And you will have your sins washed away. The slate will be wiped clean in every part of your life. Doesn't mean that your challenges will stop. Doesn't mean that some of the issues in your life will somehow cease to exist. But your eternity is secure. Your, your salvation is secure. And you will be with the Lord Jesus Christ in the kingdom to come. A beautiful exchange took place between that good thief and Jesus. A beautiful exchange took place on that blood-stained cross of Calvary where Jesus died for the sins of the entire world, for all of humanity. In his anguish, in his turmoil, in his pain, he's there. He's being mocked by one thief. And yet he still stretches forth his hand to you to say, salvation is available. You can't earn it. You can't pay for it. You can't attain it any other way. It is a free gift from Christ. If you transfer your trust from yourself to Christ. So right where you are, I want to pray a prayer of salvation over you. And then the team are going to lead us forward in a song. And then I will come back with some, some thoughts and some steps forward for you. So wherever you are, a simple prayer. You can say it under under muttering under your masks or at home, wherever you are. Lord Jesus Christ, I confess that I'm a sinner. I confess that I need you to be my Lord and my Savior. I acknowledge that you died on the cross for me, that you conquered death, hell, sin, and the grave, and that right now, you're sat at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for me, and that you long to know me. And that, Father, we know, I know that it is only your love, your perfect, rich, unending, unconditional love that has made the only way for me to get to know you. And Lord, I want to know you today. I abandon my hope, my trust, in the things of this world, and I place all of my trust in you and in you alone. Come and be Lord of my life. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.